0: We're listening to The Elephant Test. We're dedicated to the B2B marketing community and here to explore the practices, thoughts, and ideas of effective B2B marketing executives. Hi, this is Sky Cassidy and Alicia Garvalia. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us for The Elephant Test today. Uh, We're going to be talking about the crossover between employee experience and customer experience. And uh, here to help us is uh, Charles Rogel. Alicia, you want to take over and introduce Charles Rogel with a little bio?
1: Charles has an extensive background in international sales, marketing, and consulting, specifically in employee engagement uh, at DecisionWise. Charles joined DecisionWise in 2004 as an account manager he was promoted to the role of vice president of products and marketing where today he leads the decision wise marketing team thanks for joining us today charles
2: thank you i can't believe i've been here that long
1: (laughs) (laughs) 2004 2004. i don't know it's only 13 years that's fine
2: my gosh anyway yeah it's great to be with you
1: i think i was entering high school (laughs)
2: <laughs> right, yeah, a lot changes in 13 years. Yeah.
1: <laughs> not, not to make you feel old or anything. my no, no, uh, no.
2: kids tell me every day.
0: <laughs> so, Charles, the uh, we're here to talk about B two B marketing today, but specifically, you know the the employee experience, customer experience, and kind of your expertise over there. Can we start out by just kind of giving us an overview of where you came from, how you got uh, into Decisionwise, and uh, also. Your move up from, I think you said uh, you were an account manager originally, up from account manager. Yeah, that
1: sounds like a really yeah. fascinating story <laughs> of starting at the bottom and going all the way up. Right,
2: yeah. So it's not as glamorous as it might sound, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of one of those accidental marketers in a way where um, I kind of fell into this over the years. Uh, started off with DecisionWise back when we were pretty small. We had about five employees when I joined as the first sales rep. And um, we've grown now. we have got about forty employees and a few different sales reps and now kind of a marketing team. It's been been a fun ride. And um, my need to to learn and grow and, and do marketing came from my need to generate leads to to sell. And so you know the whole cold calling um, thing quickly got old and I, and I realized how ineffective it was. And so I started messing around with our website. I actually got access to our website <laughs> where I could make changes to it and 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 change some of the forms. And I got access to some of the paid advertising we were doing on Google. And so um, I was collecting names. And then from those names, I was calling people and trying to find opportunities and leads and convert those into sales. And so little by little, I just uh, found that content marketing was working. And so I got the consultants and everyone that worked here to write me some stuff. And I started writing articles and started learning about SEO and how you could, you know, do keywords. And, and so our, our company does um, a lot about measuring employee engagement. We do employee engagement surveys for companies all over the world. And we do 360-degree feedback surveys for companies. And so those were the two keywords I started focusing on. Anyway, it just all grew from there. And um, now we've got somewhat of a marketing team. There's three of us here. And uh, we do a lot of, uh, a lot of content marketing. We, we try to get people to fill out forms on our website and try to do all the best practice stuff that's out there. But, again, it's been one of those things that I, I've learned on my own over the years and um, transitioned from a full-time salesperson to a full-time marketing person about, Four years ago now. So it's been a fun ride.
0: I think you'd be surprised how many people take that path. That's actually, I'm very familiar with that. That's the same exact path I took into marketing. I was uh, working in sales, managing sales, and then eventually, you know, your job is to say, how do we get more sales? And eventually, most, you know, a lot of people, a lot of companies, probably the small to medium sized companies, eventually that sales leader will say, it's marketing. We need more yeah, marketing. That's yeah. how we're we going to get more home. sales. So, and, and then that person ends up being the one pushing the, uh, pushing the marketing and running the marketing right. because you, you find out your salespeople need more leads, not, not more whipping kind of.
2: Right. Yeah. You can hire so many salespeople, but without the, the leads or the you know, people to call on, it gets uh, difficult really fast.
0: I think especially in B2B marketing, we find a lot of people have a similar path to that because not many people, when they're asked what they want to be, as a kid say, I want to be a B2B marketer. Right.
1: I feel like that would be a fun question to start with was like, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Yeah. A B2B marketer. So
1: Charles, what did you want to be when you grew up? When, when you were well, little, what did you want to be when you
2: grew up? It's, it's still difficult when I, my kids ask me what I do. They still look at me with this weird, uh, this weird look when I try to explain it to them. And so I think they're starting to get it, but uh, yeah, when, when I was little, gosh, I didn't know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Even in school, it took me a while to kind of decide on a major I did know I wanted to go back to school and get an MBA and that's what I did um, a couple years after I graduated. So, um, but I kind of, and in MBA school, that's when I started focusing on marketing classes more and really enjoyed that. So I like, mm, uh, okay. a passion there.
1: I yeah, see so you have a bachelor's in humanities first. I know,
2: right? Yeah. So I, I kind of stumbled into that. I, I served uh, an LDS mission in Italy, um, when I was 19. And so when I got home, I tested out of all these Italian classes at school. I went to BYU, Ugh. and so I had all of these credits towards uh, that, that fit into a humanities major really easily. And I liked studying that that topic. Right. And it's funny; I always thought, "What the heck am I going to do with a humanities major?" I knew I was going to go in MBA, um, but the good thing from it was all the writing that I did as a humanities major did help me later on in my career in sales, as I was putting together big sales proposals. And also um, as I write content now for blogs and articles and things like that, it's really uh, helped me to kind of think and write and get my thoughts together. So so I do
0: – I think it's a lot like a philosophy yeah. major. Like it's – you can do just about major. anything – a philosophy. Oh. You can do almost anything with it or so you can later. do nothing with it. It's just kind of up, up to you but it really – it enables you to do a lot of things but it's not specific training. It's not yeah. like you know yeah. how to fix people's teeth and you can be a right. dentist now. yeah.
1: I really thought you said basket weaving. I don't yeah. know why that's what I heard. I was like, well, wow, that's, that's you really an weaving. insult, that's, guy. Uh... <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> but, yeah, I would definitely say the same thing is true with uh, my, ma- my major um, in both undergrad and grad school was communication. But it wasn't the kind of communication where you sit down and learn marketing uh-huh. or, you know, more like it's uh, it was actually more like the philosophy yeah. of communication. How could so. you
0: possibly use a communications major as we sit here speaking? In a I know, right?
1: Talks. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Especially
1: with performance studies. <laughs> if
2: I had to do it over again, I probably would have chosen communications as my major. Ah, wow! Well, um, but okay. I do—I don't regret—I don't regret humanities at all. I really enjoyed it, and I—I I still benefit from it.
1: So good, and you got to learn Italian, so you know,
2: some great classes,
1: possibly how you got your wife—you never <laughs> right. know. I'm assuming that there's a, a female there. that's right. Yeah,
2: uh, married for 25 years now, have uh, four children. My oldest is is 22. She just got married this past summer, so it's been a lot of fun.
1: Oh, congratulations.
0: Nice. So, Charles, I'm kind of uh excited to talk to you about this yeah. stuff today because it's a subject that I don't know a whole lot about. When it comes to you know, the words are all familiar I think to everybody, but employee mm-hmm. experience, employee engagement, customer experience, customer engagement, it's one of those things that everybody kind of has a loose idea, but I don't think they really know you know, if you put on the spot, couldn't give you yeah. a definition without of, uh, using words, uh, of any probably. of those things or uh, uh, yeah, without just saying that those exact words. Um, so I can't wait to learn from you about this stuff and what it is. And uh, I guess with that, I mean, you want to take it away? Can you uh, jump into that?
2: Sure. Yeah. So first, what I'll do is talk about customer experience, because I think that's what might be more familiar to our audience here of marketers, uh, you know, we, we kind of deal with attracting customers and understanding. But once customers get in the door, usually marketers don't really think about them anymore because you know, that's operations problem or customer service or whoever is over that. And so in, in our industry, we see – so there's been a lot of actually work around customer experience. It used to be just kind of like customer satisfaction, right? So you'd enter a restaurant – you might fill out a little five-question survey that asks you if your food was warm, how quickly did you get it, if the restaurant was clean or something. Um, and it's morphed and actually become quite important as, as things have gotten more and more competitive to understand that whole customer journey um, that, a, that a customer goes through once they purchase your product or engage with you in a service or whatever the case might be, especially in B2B because there tends to be more repeat business or maybe you're selling a year-to-year serv- or service that people sign up for. And so you're trying to retain these customers as well. And marketing still has a role in that retention and ongoing relationship with customers. So,
0: so, more the flow through the process kind of than just the how was everything, but each step, each hoop they had to go through for the process, kind of uh, optimizing it type of thing
2: that's right and and part of the problem in customer experience today or customer service or uh, you know customer satisfaction is that it 's been somewhat isolated in various um, buckets and so First, you measure what was their initial experience when they you know, encountered your, your store or your website or whatever the case is. And then what was that initial sales call like? And then what was that initial implementation um, experience like? And so you, you might be measuring these things independently, but you're not really understanding that there's a whole kind of emotional journey that a customer goes through from the time that they see your your logo the first time to they understand what your product is to when they interact with your salespeople to when they sign a contract, implement, and then even a six months to a year on into the relationship with you as a client. So understanding –
1: I love the way you say that. As an emotional journey. I really like that. Yeah,
0: and I think the journey thing, what I've seen is people like you Uh who came from sales and then have the marketing. You have a great sales and marketing blend and also – the journey is something you're paying attention to because people who who started and stay in one area tend to just see their bucket right. kind of. And it's like, yeah, this is the marketing journey and then it's gone or this is the sales. Whereas you're interested in the whole path and then back around again and again and again.
2: That's right. That's right. So, so I guess for,
0: that's a unique history you have that really is beneficial for your position, not necessarily falling into the spot. But, oh, yeah. Uh, you know somebody that just went straight into marketing doesn't doesn't have that,
2: yeah, because I know you know as we work with customers to do their employee survey and as I sold that package, it'd be very frustrating when a administrator or the customer service agent who was implementing the survey either did something wrong or didn't follow up or didn't pay good enough attention to the client because then it was so much harder for me to re- renew them the next year to do the survey again or do any ongoing work and so as a sales rep, you're really attuned to the whole experience and what they're they're going through, and that's why there's so many sales positions where they're kind of the customer relationship manager. They're going on site all the time, visiting with them, taking them, golfing, you know, that whole that whole piece just to maintain the relationship and, and identify maybe areas where the customer experience is suffering in some way.
0: Right. There's sales where you're winning the sale and then just a, right. account managing kind of uh, where you – just you know, I've never wanted to be
1: in sales, but the idea of going golfing as part of my job, even though I don't even really <laughs> like golf, sounds yeah, kind great. of appealing.
0: Golfing, steak dinners, that's right. not a tough it sales seems job. Like yeah, a good
1: yeah, idea. Like, I, I could do that.
0: <laughs> Winning I the sale is, is difficult, but I think for some people, the, the maintenance, basically, there should be a sales right. maintenance title that's just a uh, Yeah, that. Can I
1: just do the sales maintenance and let somebody yeah. else do well, that. I guess that's,
0: that's customer yeah, so experience that really. Then, yeah, so that it's a very holistic
2: approach to how you're clients or customers are interacting with you. And and so here's an example. For example, I went online um, a couple weeks ago to buy some new running shoes because I like to run. And there's one site I like to go to. It's Holabird Sports, H-O-L-A-B-I-R-D. There's a shout out to them. They've got great products. Um, and I always buy my running shoes from them. I've been doing so for the past 10, 15 years or so. And they always have great deals. And I kind of wait for my, the pair I want to go on sale. And then I usually pick them up. So but I know whenever I go to their website to browse their shoes and see what I want to get, um, this is a B two C example, but it still kind of applies. Um, they, I, I get their remarketing ads like crazy, and so um, like any website I go on, there's my shoes popping up on a, on a remarketing ad, and they're they're pretty they're pretty obnoxious about it. Honestly, <laughs> you, you just get a ton. So if you went to their website, you will have their ads following you for for quite some time. So usually I got to clear out my cash, clear out my cookies. And, um, and that way I don't see the ads as much, uh, popping up anymore, but I do like their stuff.
1: I was going to say, and at this point, have you usually already bought a pair of shoes from yeah. them recently? Cause if you go, right, like you go or no, this is like, they want you to buy again. Or whatever.
2: Usually I'm like, Hey, my shoes are getting these ones I have. I need to get some new ones. Let me start browsing, see what's out there, what's on sale. And so I might spend a few weeks okay. to buy a new pair of running shoes. I'll check a few places. I might even say, hey, I'll maybe want to try a different brand. And so I'll go try them on somewhere or something like that. Um, but I do what most people are doing where they try it on at the store right. sometimes and then buy it online for a cheaper price. But anyway, so I get right. these. That's right. Yeah. poor
1: brick and mortar um, places. But for the most
2: part, I know which ones I like now. So I can just go there and order them and, and have a good experience. And they ship for free and it comes fast. Anyway, it's really good. And so this other day, um, last week, I bought a pair. And I still got the ads coming even after I bought the shoes. And so that was kind of annoying. I'm like, okay, listen, I've already purchased. I'm done. Come on, stop with the ads. And it's usually every six months or so that I'm buying a new pair of running shoes or something. Um, But then I got an email from him as well. And the email was actually great because it had the actual pair that I really wanted, which I didn't buy because they were still full price on sale. And so what I actually ended up doing is buying that pair too. I'm going to return the other ones as soon as I get them. So that marketing worked for me, that that actually worked for them as well, even though it's somewhat obnoxious, but it made me think because we do remarketing ads as well. And anyone that's visiting our site will probably see an employee engagement survey ad pop up on their browser uh, sometime in the future. But I thought, well, what am I doing to our current customers? You know, what type of ads am I running? I know I have one that says, hey, would you like a comparative quote for an employee engagement survey? And I know that won't resonate with our customers. And so that made me think about their journey with my company. Now, I'm still hitting them up to buy from me when I should be messaging something that's a little softer, maybe a white paper or a webinar or something like that. So um, anyway, that just got me thinking about a B2C, my B2B approach to this customer uh, experience that people are having.
0: Right. So really the shoe company should – instead of sending you just a general ad for the shoes if they sent you you know they would notice oh every 6 months if we send him a discount on
1: right. a on yeah.
0: shoes that's the time frame for him is to say uh, hey are you ready mm-hmm. for a new pair of shoes yet um or so, or something like that rather than treating you like a new person constantly well
1: also to me what uh, surprises me about your story there and of course this is um again b2c but you've been buying for them with them for how long you said like 10 15 years
0: yeah yeah so
1: i mean let's let's face it that was like i mean it wasn't pre internet oh, but no. it was all, yeah, like very beginning so you've been buying with them online for a long time you're clearly a loyal customer you just yeah. gave a shout out to them on a podcast right i mean that's pre- you're a pretty loyal customer so it seems to me like they're kind of missing the boat on the way that they could be activating you because to Mm -hmm. me you shout out super fan to me and being able to identify the customers who are like really loyal and engaged and they're with you you can activate those customers in ways that you cannot activate you know your average client
2: and so yeah they would know that hey it's been six months you looking for shoes again kind of thing (laughs) thing, would be maybe an email or something but yeah, so you know, and I, and I think they're doing a good job. It's just that they're a little bit overboard on their remarketing ads that drive me a little crazy. But it just makes you think as a
0: marketer. It's kind of general. They're treating everybody the same.
2: Yeah, right, right. So it's it's just again thinking what is a your and that's really segmenting your customers right, knowing your audience, knowing the type of buyers you have, their titles, their level, their levels, their interests, things like that, and then creating those segments and and developing your marketing campaigns accordingly. So. But because you want them you know maybe there's there 's a, a few different customer journeys or experiences that you can define as a marketer for for the type of people you have, and you can customize your campaigns accordingly uh, to those groups
1: so something that um, has come up recently when i 've been you know researching and looking at um, segmentation is being able to pinpoint where people are in the kind of brand awareness journey as well, like kind of whether or not they're really, you know, again, from super fan down to being like, oh, we just barely have heard about you or we've never heard about you. I'm just seeing this email or this ad for the first time. Do you have any good tactics on kind of – obviously, we have like things like lead scoring. So to me, it kind of sounds like we would just – apply the same idea of lead scoring to the marketing levels, which of course is actually something we're doing here. But And I don't even know if that's really in your area of expertise, so I might be going off here. But
2: you no. tell me. Well, no. Yeah, we do that quite often. So we know that um, brand awareness is really critical to kind of get people to accept you as a legitimate maybe provider. So we know, for, for example, with employee engagement surveys that we sell – We know it's pretty competitive. They're going to go out and get bids from probably three or four other people and compare side to side and have a few people come in for an on-site sales presentation. So we know we have to have enough branding to really support the idea that, hey, if if this HR person recommends us to come in for a presentation, the rest of the team has never heard of decision-wise before. They might be a little skeptical about why that HR person actually invited us in the first place. And so their, you know, their credibility is a little bit on the line when they take a risk on us, if they don't know us. And so yeah, branding is really important. And then, but the way we try to get to the next step, you know, they might find us through a, a web search or something like that, is, you know, we conduct webinars a lot. We do podcasting as well and, and, and some videos. So it's your other content pieces that helps warm them up and create that affinity. So it goes from awareness to now they have some affinity with you. They've heard you. They've kind of uh, become more familiar with your customer or with your consultants or whoever you have there. Um, so they have more of an awareness not only of your brand but of who you are as people and what your you know your value proposition is, and so that's how we try to get them closer through the pipeline. Is we do webinars a lot just on employee engagement surveys, for example. And as we get HR people attending that, they become more educated about how to run a survey effectively. But also now, when they're in the market to buy, they will think a decision wise, and we'll get a we'll get a chance to hit. Uh, for the next um, opportunity.
1: Yeah, that makes me also think, I, you know, I really want to talk about, um, you know, the employee engagement specifically, but you keep making me think. Um, and, and that makes me think here, uh, when I, in my position as the um, head of marketing at Mountaintop Data, we walk a very thin line between, you know, we want to market to, our marketing audience, but then once they've been tossed over to sales, at what point do we continue to engage them? How, how much, but what you've just said makes me think that I would be really interested in specifically targeting, not those specific contacts that are working with sales, but maybe all of the other contacts around them and kind of targeting them with our brand so that when they'd come into the room and say, "Hey, uh, you know, decision wise is cool. I'm interested." Okay, they probably wouldn't say that, but mm-hmm. but I'm interested in using decision-wise. Um, here's this company that I found that would be useful. Right. They won't be like a decision. What they'll right.
0: be like. Oh, oh right. I've want to heard over-target of that company. Target them once they're already in sales hands. Right, but then like you also don't want
1: to. Yeah, you don't,
0: don't want, want to the annoy about them. About them right, the, the same market. kind of idea sales as the is always telling you stay yeah. away. Don't don't annoy them once we're talking to
1: them. Sales is like back off. Yeah. So
2: yeah. So let me so uh do you want me to talk about employee experience or do you have some more questions about customer experience?
1: I really do. Yeah. No, I think that's it. I just um you're getting my brain thinking. But uh yeah, I'm really interested in this parallel because you know, as a marketer, obviously, you know, your brand, I love uh-huh. branding. I'm that's like my baby. But um and and so I I totally get where this buy-in for the employees needs to exist, but I think I'm just drastically under, <laughs> sure. I, just, I just have no idea how big of a difference this can make and why it would really be that big of a deal. So, and I don't mean that to sound rude, but like, tell me why is this necessary? Why is it helpful? What, what does this do for me?
2: Yeah. So the, this realm really has been the, the so, so marketing isn't so concerned with employee experience. That's HR or that's management or whatever. They're, they're all concerned with keeping employees happy and working hard and, and taking care of customers. But the tie is really uh, acute because your customers are directly impacted by the experience they have with your employees, and so once they get on the phone with them, or once they have any kind of interaction with them, um, the employees are kind of the face of the company, and so those poor interactions a customer might a customer might have are a direct result of their interaction with an employee who might have had a bad uh, interaction at work of some sort. So the employee experience is very similar to a customer's experience. It's that employee journey through the, the, the company where they join the company, you know, they, they have that onboarding experience, they meet their boss, uh, they meet their coworkers, maybe they attend the first company event, um, they get their new computer, and then is it a pain to get set up with tech support or did it work the first day? Uh, they go through their training, have their first performance review and so on and so forth. So during all of those touch points through an employee's tenure at a company, there's ups and downs, right? So maybe the onboarding experience wasn't that great, or maybe it was wonderful, but now their job isn't as great as they thought it would be. And so um, there's all these expectations that you're trying to manage. And so when we talk about the employee experience, we we define it as the sum of the perceptions employees have about their interactions with the organizations in which they work. And so it's pretty straightforward and pretty basic. Um, But that that level of engagement, for example, or satisfaction with their their uh, work or, or willingness to kind of go above and beyond is affected by all these different touch points or experiences that they have.
0: So it's kind of would they recommend a friend work yeah. there? Would they recommend a company to, – to a friend, would they recommend the company they're working okay. at? We all know companies where – you know, pe- you hear people saying like, oh, yeah, I'm selling this, but I would never buy it or <laughs> right. I would never recommend right. it to a friend. This is just my job. Right. I can't, you know, they have the posters all around the uh, the office about how great a place it is to work and people just make fun of the posters and that kind <laughs> of stuff.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah, everyone can can kind of share their favorite office show moment, you know, at, at work that they've experienced as well. Um so, so as we look at it, one way to think about the employee experience is the operating environment for your people. And so, as you think of your operating environment, your operating system on your computer, whether you're, you're a Mac user or a PC or, or whatever, how does that operating environment um, affecting your people and, and helping them to either run efficiently or inefficiently? And so, when it's properly structured, then you're able to attract, retain, and then engage your employees to really be effective at work. So, so we, wrote, we wrote a book on the employee experience that we released at the beginning of the year now, and we've been doing a lot of work and training and seminars and things around it. And it's kind of this holistic approach, again, to, to your, your human capital. So employee engagement is one component, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but there's other components here. We, we see three distinct components or contracts that are part of the employee experience. And so this first one is the brand contracts. And so much like with marketing where you're kind of branding your company – you're also branding your company to your employees. And so this is how your organization is viewed by potential employees that are going to work for your company. And so it determines how well the company or team is positioned as an employer of choice. Uh, And it's also measured by understanding what initially attracted employees to employees to work for your organization. And you can measure this. We measure this with companies all the time, but, you know, why did you join this company? And, And there's a variety of reasons. Maybe, you know, in, within the area, you know, you had a great reputation as a great company. You know, you're the one that people, all, everyone wants to work for. It just looks great on a resume. Maybe you had a reputation as uh, having, you know, great benefits, great compensation, a, uh, a cool working environment. Uh, or maybe you were um, a stable organization that someone knew they could join and, and work for for the rest of their lives. Maybe you were a great part-time opportunity for someone that wanted to uh, earn extra money either while at school or as a second income earner from home. So there's a variety of different reasons why uh, employer, employees look at your company and your brand impacts their willingness to submit an application.
0: Basically. So when you say employers, are you talking mostly about kind of the sales team as brand ambassadors, as the people that are having the majority of interaction with the B2B customers?
2: Well, no. So this is different than customers. So so this is kind of taking the customer experience and applying it to all the employees in the organization. Okay. And so as a company, if you're trying to grow and attract and and just hire more people separate from marketing or sales or anything like that, how do they view your company as a brand, uh, as a potential employer? uh, What's your brand as a potential employer is what they're asking or looking for. So it kind of gets to the thing you mentioned before where you said, well, would you recommend this company as a great place to work? um you know would you get do you get a lot of employee referrals from your employees when a, there's a job posting or something like that so um you're trying to see how attractive you are to potential employees
0: interesting, interesting. so i've got a question i want to tease here and then we're going to we're going to go on a quick break so think about this question and then after the break um i'll i'll hit you up for it but if you could give us a couple tips for kind of uh or or give our listeners a couple tips for what just a couple of things people might not think about to help have engaged and happy employees that are going to be better kind of ambassadors for the, for the company. Um, so, all right, we'll go on break here and then uh, we'll come back with that in just a minute.
1: Our episode today is brought to you by Engageo. If you're thinking about ABM and not sure how to start or which plays to run, Engageo just came out with a new playbook for marketers featuring 16 plays that have been tested in the field to get results. Check them out at engageo.com orchestration.
0: All right, we're back from the break Uh, here with uh, Charles Rogel, Alicia Garvalia, on the elephant test. And uh, I think before the break, Charles, I was asking you a question about tips for happy and effective employees that will make better brand ambassadors.
2: Yeah. So the the idea here is that you need to re- be able to, manage kind of these three uh, these three contracts you have with your employees. And so the, the employee experience is about the brand contract, this transactional contract, and psychological contract. To get really happy, engaged employees, a lot of that deals with the psychological contract that you make with your employees. And so that revolves around employees feeling like they have meaning, autonomy, growth, impact, and then connection in their job. And so as a manager, if you're looking to have an engaged uh, workforce, um, practices like being a micromanager, for example, kill engagement within a company because it takes away people's autonomy. They can't make decisions on their own. So you want to make sure you have those, those pieces in place where they're feeling like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm making a difference, I'm having impact here, I'm growing professionally, um, I'm learning new things, this job has meaning to me, um, I have the autonomy I need to do, uh, you know, make decisions, and also I have a connection with people here. And So those five factors, when they're in place, um, create a really engaged workforce and people that really want to be, you know, like your, the brand ambassadors for your product and your organization. So that's kind of the, the high level piece.
0: The high level one is don't crush their souls. Don't crush <laughs> <Exactly>.
2: their souls. <laughs> Sometimes the <a> recommendation to <laughs> okay. companies is get out of the way. Stop making it difficult for people to be engaged in your company.
0: I've got to put that on the back of my door in my office. So right. I see it. It'll just say, don't be a soul crusher.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, what he doesn't know is that on the other side of his door, we've hung a sign that says Soul Crusher. Soul Crusher.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so as an example here, um, uh, you know, when I was when we were growing and I was lucky enough to hire a marketing assistant, I got an intern from from BYU here that helped me out. He was a, a great guy. He wanted he was actually in. Uh, OBHR at BYU studying and but but he applied and and accepted our marketing position here at Decisionwise for
0: OBHR. What's that?
2: Um, so organization behavior and human resources. Oh, okay. And so that that's great. He wanted to have experience in a company like ours to kind of go into that field eventually someday, but he was good at marketing as well and and good with social media and a lot of those other things that I was looking for. And so it was a good fit at the time. Um, and he got really good. He was very efficient. He could execute really well. He came up with good ideas. He was actually good at content and things like that too. All these good marketing things. And we worked really well together for a good year, year and a half, almost two years, I think he was here. I'm hearing but The butt he coming the on. End... There it is. As he got to the end of his uh, schooling, though, he was looking to say, okay, what am I going to do now that I'm graduating and, and growing up? And, uh, you know, marketing just wasn't his thing anymore. He kind of lost the, the passion for what we had before. He wasn't really finding much meaning in it. He wasn't growing anymore because of this, you know, just running the email campaigns wasn't exciting anymore, you know, coming up with new ideas there just wasn't doing it. He didn't feel like he was having much of an impact on what was going on. So uh, I could see pretty clearly that those factors that really engage people were, were I was losing them, and so he and he was open with it, and we were just had open conversations all the time and so eventually um, he found another actually he got a another uh, internship um, in California at Cisco and went and did that and It was a good amicable you know separation, and we got a lot of value from from both ends of it, but it was you know obvious as we looked as I looked at those factors that yeah, he just wasn 't going to work out, and it wasn 't really even if I offered him a position in marketing here a full time position. It wasn't his thing. He just wasn't going to be happy there. And so um, and so that's when we realized it was time for a change.
1: That does speak to the necessity of really just being able to recognize when you are losing someone mm-hmm. and not try to hold on because yeah. that makes everyone miserable.
0: Yeah, I think I think in sports they say a lot of players will say like, "Oh, when you're not having fun anymore, that's when it's time to retire." It's right. kind of silly in sports, but it makes sense in a job. Like for the boss, when your employee's not having fun anymore, it's time right. for them it's to time move to on. retire them, <laughs> whether they know it or not. Even it's you, or to get them kind of engaged again, because if they're not engaged and if they're not enjoying themselves, you're gonna you're going to be losing a lot of, uh, of what you really need in your in your brand.
2: Yeah, and so I'm, I'm just trying to think, you know, the way to apply kind of employee experience to a marketing situation is really, if you have a marketing team, you really need to look at the, the members of your team and how engaged they are either in the job that they have and what they're doing and find out what makes them tick, right? What's what's meaningful to them? What do they enjoy about the work that they're doing? If they're over your email program or social media or whatever tasks they're, they're engaged in, what do they want to do after that, right? Do they want to write more? Do they want to right. be over content? So um, it's important as a marketer, you really kind of tap into the passion that they have and kind of keep that flame burning. Um, otherwise, you'll, you might lose them if you just ignore them and say, "Hey, execute this email campaign like you've been doing." Um, they might just eventually burn out and want to do something
0: else. Right, and you'll definitely lose quality—you know, a quality results mm-hmm. because they're just not engaged. Yeah.
1: They- so being brand ambassadors. Something that I struggle with between sales and marketing is, you know, I may possibly fall more on the side of the micromanagement. I um, <laughs> have to curb that. But I tend to want to brand and curate All of the emails and everything that – and obviously, I'm not going to be able to write every salesperson's email or anything. But I I want to be able to go in and say like, here's my brand stamp on it.
0: Control the voice of of everybody in the company. I mean that's
1: putting it nicely. (laughs) (laughs) I think somebody called it the brand police, which – Killing me a little bit inside, <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean it's it's true though. Sometimes like we want to make sure that we are in brand voice, but where is that line between like and, and I guess actually that's really what you're speaking to is like if I. If you can activate your employees to be those brand ambassadors, then you don't have to have marketing or someone, brand police come in at every second and every – you come around every corner to be like, this is our brand. You must stick to this because they will have already bought into it Mm -hmm. and they will be ready to to kind of distribute it.
0: So I guess to jump on the back of what she's saying, does that come from like how do you mold them without Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) crushing their souls remolding them? Is that just kind of corporate culture and training and finding the right people? Um, Like because you – you can't force something we always say is you can't pay somebody to care. Uh-huh. Uh, you can't force somebody to be engaged. Like you need to be engaged in However, care right now.
1: Shame <laughs> is free. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah.
1: No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
2: you,
0: you can't pay somebody to care, but shame is free. Yes. Yep.
1: Uh, no, I'm kidding. Anyway. So, so yeah, how do you do that?
2: So part of it is um, being able to establish kind of a framework that they can work within that still gives them some autonomy and ability to kind of um, share their voice without feeling so constricted by the branding or the marketing whatever um, content that they they can't they can only share what's given to them by marketing. You know, that's really kind of demotivating. But if they if they're able to kind of add their voice to it or their personality to it, then they take more ownership for it. They they feel more more willing to kind of use and 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 promote the you know the rest of the things too. So it's being collaborative to an extent. I know you'll always have those guys that are just kind of the mavericks out there and want to do their own thing or don't like anything that marketing gives them. And, and those will always be difficult cases. But if you can give them that framework and also help paint the vision uh, for them, then they'll, they'll get on board. And usually the vision comes from they want to know, show me the data, show me that this works, you know. And so if you have more of that to share with them, uh, they definitely will use it.
0: Speaking
1: their language, I guess. As
0: long as they're good, also, it's always easier to give people more rope. As long as you know they're going to be good at it, so when you hire the right people Mm -hmm. that are capable, it's a lot easier to give them some free reign.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, because you know, you know, you're not constantly worried about them. You don't have to micromanage. You won't micromanage if you don't have to. Kind of right.
1: So, going back to the psychological contract, you laid out some really specific things, and that seems to speak to being able. That that if you're able to tap into these things, then you're able. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the transactional contract seems like the very basic level we give you money. for Right? Work. Yeah,
2: exactly. Am it's, I it, wrong? Yeah, it's, on that that, one? But it's really important because um, it it drives really satisfaction, and so satisfaction is a driver of uh, attracting people and retaining your people. So if you're paying them well, you're working in a good building. Right. You know, there's there's free lunch on Fridays or whatever or other perks. So the perks really help to drive retention. So I'm less likely to leave the company because I'm so uh, satisfied here with, you know, the, the pay perks and everything else that I get. Um, but you, you, they won't engage you. They won't gr- motivate you to work harder or do more. Um, you know, once you get that initial bump and raise, the excitement wears off and you're back to doing what you've always done. It's really those psychological factors, that those engagement factors around meaning, autonomy, growth, impact, and connection. So we wrote a book on this too. It's called Magic, and it, and it talks about these five drivers of engagement. Those are the things that really inspire people to do their best and to work hard.
0: So is this – I mean are you talking about things like Parfait Tuesday or something like that? Does um, <laughs> it include that, yeah, that But and, and more or uh... – That's a
2: satisfaction element. Well, yeah. So in some cases, you see companies, especially here in, in Utah, where, where I'm located, there's a lot of high-tech companies moving in. And so we work with a lot of clients here that are struggling because they're trying to attract and retain developers and programmers. But the company up the street has this nice gym in their facility, and they have a nice soccer field outside, and they're offering free lunch every day. And so this perk war starts up, and it happens in Silicon Valley as well and with you know Google and all the rest of them. Where there's this war to attract and retain people with perks, but that's only half the equation, right? So it's like, yeah, that's nice for the first couple months, but then you realize that my boss is a jerk, or I don't have autonomy to really make any decisions here, um, or, um, you know, I'm not really feeling connected to the people I work with in some way. So. That's where the
0: so those are kind of negative perks. You have your positive perks. You <laughs> right. say, you know, you have the gym membership and stuff like that. But then there's a negative perks like, who's my manager? Right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Have
1: so, you seen uh, the movie The Circle?
2: Yes. It's been a few years though. The horror movie? Or no? No. Nope. <laughs> That's the
0: ring. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're like, What's not, the connection there? I
0: don't do know where you're going. <laughs> with this. It's
1: a. It's about social media, and it's. It's really more about the pervasive and invasiveness of social media. But it's also really interesting because it does kind of mirror a lot of the social media companies, which also have all these perks and it's just, anyway, you find it really interesting. Anyone who wants to take these lessons and apply them to a company with some really great uh, examples, mm-hmm. go watch the circle. The circle. With Emma Watson.
0: Okay. Now, what about, what about so many companies? I don't know how they do it. Is this, would you say this is good or bad, but there's so many companies I hear about that have, Like an at-work drinking culture where there's a lot of drinking going (laughs) on, a lot of these technology companies. And sometimes you, you hear about it when it goes wrong. But I talk to friends that are in some of these companies and it's like they're drinking with their bosses every day in the office almost how does that figure into this? Is that a good thing, a bad thing, depending on how it's managed?
2: You know, from an HR policy or legal standpoint, that can be a nightmare or be a very, you know, HR, I I assure you probably doesn't like it. They're just like, that's a, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. You know,
0: I just assume they don't have HR (laughs) departments. they're doing this. I don't know how they do it. I just constantly hear about it. There was a big one recently that just got bought. And that was a major part of the buyout was, Oh, everybody's going to, they're going to have to get, they had to get rid of the bar in the office and everybody had to stop being drunk at work and it was a problem (laughs) because their employees all kind of got used to it. Um.
2: Right. No, if it works, no. So if it works, what happens is that kind of becomes ingrained. Not only is it kind of a perk that drives satisfaction, it becomes ingrained as a part of the culture and also a part of, um, we look at as one of those, those engagement drivers of connection, right? So it's a real way to build connection to network and to feel like you've got each other's back in the organization through you know you know the, the, these uh, ability you know the ability to drink together. So you know if you take that away, all of a sudden you take away a satisfaction element. People feel it, and it and it impacts uh, engagement. So um, you take away free you know well drinking in the office or free lunch on Friday or something like that. All of a sudden you've got some really disappointed employees, and it takes a while to kind of overcome that.
0: Right. You can give entitlements, but when you try to take them away, it's much worse than the <laughs> Right, and so of that's why you gotta of. Of So you're so saying, you saying
2: could
1: that replace them.
0: We should replace the Friday ping pong games with Friday beer pong games. Maybe. Or no.
2: Depends on your culture.
1: (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I not like beer. You know, I did actually work for an agency when I was first starting out, a branding agency. And we did uh, do happy hours on Fridays. But that was with everyone. And it definitely, I mean, especially being an Mm -hmm. intern there, I started as an intern. You know, I I feel like I got to know the staff and the owners in ways that I just never would have gotten those connections or formed that because I was too busy. We were All all too busy working the rest of the time. But just providing that. But it was also just on Friday afternoons, like and after outside four the o'clock. Office. It was, not outside outside of work. it was not outside oh, the office. It was not outside the office.
0: Oh, good happy hour in the office.
1: Yeah, we'd go into the conference room, oh. Oh, okay. and uh, sometimes you know if it was someone's birthday, it would be like cupcakes too. But it, it would be like shots. And, they called uh, it
0: happy hour. That's just called office. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they did. Yeah. Call it happy hour. Oh, no. I think
1: I, I applied you that label. It that. Okay. But no, it was like at four o'clock, everyone filed into the conference room. I was picturing and we TGI had Fridays,
0: and I was like, "That's fine. People meet afterwards." And
1: by the way, I was over twenty-one. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. Um, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. But nobody uh,
0: checked, but she was.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. But I do think that it kind of opened things up. And, and it wasn't so much that the fact that we were drinking. I think it was more of the being able, A, a set time to socialize, something to look forward to, and also this kind of mixing of, like, the different Stratospheres of the company and being able to go and socialize with people who I might have felt like i did wouldn 't get like that 's not a privilege I have
0: sales talks to marketing in a non confrontational setting <laughs> <kind
1: of thing. laughs> right yeah
0: i didn 't mean to sidetrack at all with booze, but basically it 's the the lay perks in booze, the office it can it be a really alcohol, big part of alcohol. people being engaged Sorry. I guess and you 're saying if there 's social perks where people interact with each other, not just. You know, a, a gym membership or something like that, but things where they'll actually interact with, with each other, that's even better.
2: That's right. Yeah. So then it turns into a driver of engagement, whereas a perk in general is something that is, uh, you know, free free snacks or whatever, free, you know, drinks or something would be a perk. But if it, it leads to that type of interaction, then it's more about connection, which drives engagement.
0: Right. You're kind of building a culture of bonded people. Yep. That's
2: right.
1: And then in the middle of that, I get to sit down and be like, "Yay, everybody loves that brand. Here's that brand. Yay.
0: <laughs> get them drunk and then brainwash them with brands. Yes, yes that's exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So from a marketing perspective, um, you know, it's really the, the culture of your organization has a strong impact on your customers and the experience that they have. And so if you're, it's hard as a marketer, if you're working somewhere and people are bummed out or not that engaged or whatever, it's not that into their jobs because, you know, you're trying to really portray and uh, promote, um, you know, a strong positive image about the company. And if the employees aren't that jazzed about it, then uh, it's a real uphill battle.
1: But so what you're saying is if the employees aren't that jazzed about it, we need to – it's it's not like a, uh, you know – crush them into becoming more just, right? <laughs> it's 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 a hey, you know, maybe this isn't as a fun environment to work in. Maybe we should fix that. Like, it kind of does. Dilbert has some
0: a cartoon that says, if morale doesn't improve, beatings will continue or will, <laughs> will escalate or something like that. Is exactly. that
1: what's hanging up in your office? Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> I thought that was an office manual. I didn't know it was a joke. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely requires some reflexivity to be like, oh, hey, Maybe we should actually look at this and I like that.
0: So I feel like we're kind of covered two things. One was the customer's journey or path through marketing and sales and then back around and around again and then the other is kind of the, the employee's experience and their journey through interviewing and hiring and onboarding and working there that turns them into a kind of a good brand ambassador for the company. That
1: helps the customer journey. Dang, dang,
0: dang. Uh, so I, I think when we started here, I was a little bit. I'm not sure if I know what this is <laughs> that that we're going to be talking about today. I, <laughs> right. I think I have a pretty good grasp on it. Did I nail it there? How close am I?
2: You did. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and, and those two, the customer experience and employee experience, are really intertwined in terms of um, in terms of you know delivering a good service or or brand or whatever you're talking about. Those two are intertwined. In order to deliver a good customer experience, you need to have a good employee experience. So your employees actually deliver a good customer experience.
1: And, of course, these three, the brand contract, psychological contract, and the transactional contract are also the same Are, are the same between employee and also customer. You would have those three things as well.
2: That's right. Yeah, so they, they feel the same thing, right? They, they, they interact with your brand at a high level, and that kind of takes them into maybe um, a transaction with your company, and that transaction could be they buy something off your website and submit a credit card, but what is the psychological experience that they're having as well? You know, is it, um, was it, um, you know, did they feel good after that interaction? Right. right.
1: Which is, I mean, this is so silly and sort of getting off track, but I think that's why um, the non brick and mortar stores, if they're doing it correctly, it's great. And if they're not, these online stores, when they're sending you packages, if they're actually putting thought into that package and what it looks like and what it feels like to open up that package, they're on the ball. And if they're not, yeah. They're missing it because you don't get the experience of going into a brick and mortar store and, and being like, Oh or or for that matter, you know, for our our SaaS listeners or for our um, other you know, between going in and actually dealing face to face with a client versus just having an online experience when they actually get the product, whatever you're selling to them. If you can make them feel excited about it, that's uh, right, yeah. right.
0: Yeah. yeah, we always say that uh, I, when I'm talking to my tech people, they don't quite understand that when we deliver a product, it doesn't only need to be technically good, but it needs right. to kind of look and feel good too. tissue
1: paper and in say, there. But
0: it's all good. And we say, no, no, no. But it's He's the – uh, I, I remember when I was in high school, I worked in a pizza place and I didn't learn hardly anything from there. But one thing I took away <laughs> was uh, they taught me that they put – when when you're putting the ingredients on, they put a different kind of cheese. I don't remember what it was, but there was a special – Expensive cheese that was delicious, mm. I guess. And they put that in the very middle of the pizza. He so said you put this and then you put the regular mozzarella or whatever it is. I don't even know what you put everything else around on it, but you put this one cheese in the very middle. And he said, the reason you put this cheese in the middle is that's the first bite. And that's the oh, most man. important. Oh, so you don't put that cheese everywhere, you don't put it nowhere, but you make sure you don't randomly put it somewhere, you put it in the first bite. So it's kind of that that experience that people have has to be good and especially that first impression experience. And I, I guess it works in our hiring here. We do it in a couple places, but you don't want people to dread coming back to you. I think with sales, when, when marketing feeding people to sales and then kind of, we're going to help bring them back around. You, uh, you know, you don't want people to not interact with you as a company because they're afraid to talk to you because they had a bad experience last time, and right. they, they know they need this, but eh, maybe not from you because the experience right. just they just have a gut feeling, even a no no desire to answer the phone or to pick the phone up, kind of.
1: Well, I have one random question for you. Mm-hmm. If you had a marketing superpower, uh, what would it be?
2: Oh wow, um, marketing
0: superpower, yeah.
2: Yeah, so you know, of course it'd be nice to see in the future and understand what uh, what decisions you're about to make if they work out. But um oh, there you go. <laughs> you can pick anything. Don't
0: pick invisibility. That's bad for marketing. But, bad for marketing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely would be because there's sometimes, you know, you take a risk in marketing, you're always placing bets here and there. It's like you're walking into a casino. And you're trying to figure out, okay, is this one going to pay off? Let's see. Let's test it and see if it works. And so –
0: Yeah. If you know where it's going to land, you know it's going to pay off or not. That would be great.
2: Yeah, exactly. All right.
0: But – I mean seeing any point in the future is kind of cheating. How far ahead would you need to be able to see?
1: Well, I mean you don't want to see to your death. That's not fun. Ah, but you need <laughs> to
0: see an hour, a week, a month, just uh, 15 also, minutes.
1: if you did this, would you also then go buy a lot of lottery tickets?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you can only thing. use it for marketing.
1: You can only use it
0: for marketing. Only for marketing.
2: Yeah, I, I would only need maybe – in some cases, I only need an hour, but um, – I think uh, I think three months would be a good time frame.
0: You'd be getting ready to send an email and just be like, never mind. They're not going to click. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: well, our sales, hey, that would save you a lot of work.
2: I think it's because our sales cycle is usually about three months. And so then I would know if any of my marketing activities actually turned into sales after it generated leads and that sort of stuff. So three months would be adequate.
0: Yeah. I want to see – so you'd need to be able to see one sales cycle in yeah, the future right. basically. Yeah, that's all
2: I need. Just give me that. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I want to see this movie starring Nick Cage now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They always have these powers and they never use them for anything that makes sense. It's like, oh I can see the future, but I'm not gonna gamble yeah. or anything.
1: Not gonna gamble. It's silly. Alrighty. Well, I feel a little bit more enlightened now in terms of the crossover between employee experience and customer engagement or vice versa. And Yeah, Charles, this has been
0: us. this has been great. We'd yeah. love to have you on again sometime if you'd like. I think there's a lot more to talk about here. We just Kind of went on and on. I think Alicia and I (laughs) both know um, so much more about this now, and hopefully uh, our audience does as well. Uh,
1: But, you know, if our audience is interested in learning more about. Uh, Charles Company. They can go find DecisionWise at decision-wise.com. Just a little bit more about DecisionWise. It is a management consulting and survey firm specializing in leadership and organizational development and employee engagement. DecisionWise services include employee engagement services, 360-degree feedback Leadership coaching, talent assessment, and organizational development, with a primary mission to transform the employee experience. And that is at decision-wise.com. Uh, Charles, really quick, where can you talked about a couple different books that uh, would maybe be helpful to our audience? Where can they find those?
2: Yeah, so if you want to learn learn more, uh, they're they're both on Amazon. Uh, one is called The Employee Experience: How to Attract retain uh, and engage your, your, your workforce. And the other one is uh, magic. The five keys to unlock the power of employee engagement. Those are both on Amazon or every, any other retailer. Um, and of course you can go to our website too at decision-wise.com and see uh, links and things like that. I wanted to make a special shout out and thank Mountaintop data. I've been working with them for probably a couple of years now. My rep is Jay Gilmore. He does a great job. I think I I've cleaned him out a few times of all the HR contacts that he has and, uh, but we had a great, uh, great, great working relationship. So thanks, you guys.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Thank and you. the shoe company. Mention them oh, yeah. one more time and they've yeah. got to send you a free pair. Yeah, th- Come I on. Think to, I think they're going to have to
1: – they might have to pay us. Free no. pair of
0: shoes. Free pair of <laughs> <laughs> shoes.
2: Holabird Sports.
0: H-O-L-A-B-I-R-D.
1: We want a free pair of shoes for Charles, Charles yeah. <laughs> Holabird. Okay?
0: Hey, send me one too, by the way. Size nine and a half.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and if you would like to talk to uh, – DecisionWise on Twitter. It's at DecisionWise. And you can email Charles at C. Rogel, R O G E L, at decision wise.com. And that wraps it up for us. Thank you for coming on with us, Charles.
2: Thank you. It's been great.
0: Excellent. Thanks. Until next See you time. Until next time. A quick word from our sponsor
1: Effective marketing starts with good data. At Mountaintop Data, we are experts at developing and maintaining high-quality marketing lists. With tens of millions of highly accurate records and more data being added daily, we're sure to have the contacts you need to be in front of. Learn more at mountaintopdata.com.
0: Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Elephant Test. Check out the show notes at elephanttest.com. Thank you so much for listening from all of us here at The Elephant Test. Until next time. This podcast is a part of
1: the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.